0: When you have a special need, you need to be allowed to express your giftedness in the way that God intended. And the church needs to be gracious enough to give you that opportunity. So a lot of the stories that I write are about things like that, because I want parents to understand that, too, about their own children. Your child is a gift, not just someone to be served or someone to be tolerated. Your child has a role to play that God has given them. Anyway, so I I want to encourage parents to hopefully, you know, see their kids that way and, and encourage the church to do the same.
1: You're listening to the Reframing Ministries podcast, providing help, hope, healing, and humor for people walking through pain. Here's our host, Colleen Swindall thompson
2: Hi, this is Colleen Swindall thompson director of Reframing Ministries at Insight for Living and also the host of this podcast, Reframing Ministries. Today, you're going to hear an amazing interview with Kelly Anderson. Kelly has written for over 20 years with Christianity Today, Today's Christian Woman, and has been on Moody radio station as well. She and several other authors have written a recent book titled Life on the Spectrum, Faith, Hope, Love, and Autism. Kelly is going to be shedding insight for all of us on relational health, which includes parenting parenting children who may have autism or disabilities, conflict resolution, and even something called reservation time. Today, I'm talking with my friend, Kelly Anderson. Kelly, thank you for being with me.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so glad to finally be speaking with you.
2: You and a group of people that you and I both know have just published a book called Life on the Spectrum, Faith, Hope, Love, Autism. And actually, Diane Doko Kim, who wrote the foreword for your book, was one of my guests recently. So this book is filled with amazing topics, not just on autism, although autism has sparked um, the work being done, but we're going to cover in our time together issues like empathy, comparison, worry, forgiveness, acceptance, so many things you guys did. Mm. Kelly, Mm -hmm. thank you so much for covering the topics as you did, and providing questions at the end of the book as well. What brought this book together?
0: There's three names on the cover of the book, I should point out, and there's eight writers all together, but Debbie Abs, myself, and Kevin O'Brien, are, our names are on the cover. This is really the brainchild that Debbie had, and she and I were in a writer's group together, and she already knew kind of my background um, with with my sons having autism, and she approached me one afternoon and was like, you know, I've got this crazy idea. I've got this title for a book. I don't know what the book's going to be exactly, but I've got the title, and it's Life on the Spectrum. Mm. And I'm like, oh, that sounds great. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I've got these ideas, but would you be interested in putting something together with me? (laughs) Because you've already written a book. And so we kind of just started bouncing around ideas and realized more and more that, we didn't want to just tell her story and my story. We just realized autism is such a spectrum that it has such a wide range of abilities and disabilities for those people who have it. And we wanted to be able to tell a story that would encompass that broad range so that readers would be able to relate no matter who they are, no matter where their child is or where they are. And so we've got, uh, we really were, were trying to write a book that would have a lot of diversity. So we've got not just our voices, Debbie and mine, but we also have male voices. And I think that is hugely important. Um, So we have three fathers who've contributed, Kevin being one of them, who's on the cover and who uh, was just invaluable in putting this book together. We couldn't have done it without him. So anyway.
2: You know, one of the things I really did enjoy having various authors, because What maybe the audience doesn't know is that autism, you meet one person with autism, which means you've met one person with autism. And it is such a spectrum challenge and in the last 20 years has skyrocketed, as we know, Mm -hmm. that it's a buzzword, but a lot of people don't understand the the behind-the-scenes realities of living with a loved one who has autism. And Kevin, in one of the chapters, wrote that he was so frustrated. He's a fixer and he said he had to ask himself what do i do when i can't fix my child when i can't fix my wife's emotions when i can't fix my frustrations when my son can't fix his challenges to communicate with me i know having for you having two kids with challenges on the spectrum what has that been like
0: well it's really goes back to the the sentence you just quoted, if you know one person with autism, you just know one person. My sons manifested autism so differently from one another that while my oldest son, John, he's 24 now, he was diagnosed when he was in second grade but his brother wasn't diagnosed until 4th grade and even then we were shocked when the doctor said yeah i think this is autism we couldn't believe it <laughs> we knew things were going on uh, but we we really hadn't realized just how differently it can manifest itself even with siblings. So you would think that having one child with it already, that we'd be the first ones to be able to recognize it in another child. But we were a little, a little slow, I guess, on, on the uptake. But what it really is, is you just have to, with every person you encounter in your family, with whatever difficulty they're having, you kind of have to reinvent the wheel. It's it's very individualized. So it's it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of disability. You know, as, as any parenting situation would be, each one of your kids is different and that's going to be true of their disability. And you just kind of have to take it one day at a time. Everybody's learning about each other. So it's just a constant journey of discovery and prayer. Oh my gosh. And And yeah, prayer. And then more prayer. (laughs) (laughs) More prayer. (laughs) But you know, Kelly,
2: you're really speaking to everybody there because that is how parenting is, whether there's a spectrum disorder or not. In fact, Mm -hmm. as I looked at the National Autism Society site, for those who are not as familiar with autism, it says it's a neurobiological developmental disability that generally Mm -hmm. appears before age three. But like you just said, your sons weren't diagnosed until they were in elementary school. And here are some of the comorbid or other Challenges that parents will face, which is probably why it was difficult to identify in in your other son, fragile X, allergies, asthma, epilepsy, or seizure disorder, as we call it now, bowel disease, gastrointestinal and digestive disorders, viral Mm -hmm. infections, PANDAS, which is an acronym for a tick disorder from the strep virus settling in the Mm -hmm. base of the brain. Feeding disorders, yeah. anxiety disorders, bipolar, ADD, Tourette's. Is everybody autistic? I think they are. <laughs> I, <laughs> In one way or another. I In mean, one way or another. <laughs> we all have a little bit of this stuff. But for yeah, you to be able yeah. to identify it and then think, two of my children now, Yeah. what was that like on your
0: marriage? Oh, my gosh. Well... Uh, it was definitely, as as the years went by and as more and more of the challenges became apparent, you know, Adrian and I, my husband Adrian um, and I have been married 29 years this summer, we we were just kind of in survival mode and I think, uh, you know, like Kevin said in the segment that he wrote, our focus was just on how can we fix, how can we fix, so we kind of partnered in terms of scouring the internet and books and talking to the few people we knew who who understood our situation we were just constantly on the hunt for answers and help and solutions so i think we were in many ways so distracted by that that we did what a lot of people do, I think, when they're in any kind of a chronic crisis kind of situation, and that is our marriage really was not our main focus anymore. Our focus was on our kids, and that's actually something that comes out in the stories that I tell in, in the book, and that is we had to learn how incredibly vital it is that we take time to slow down and pay attention to our relationship because it's only when when we are both strong in our relationship that we're going to have enough to give to our children emotionally and even with, our, with the quality of time that we're going to spend with them. But it took a counselor to speak into our life before we realized that that was what was going on. So mm-hmm. marriage can be easily, it can become invisible. When you're looking at all the different all the different things that you need to be addressing with your kids' needs. Your marriage can kind of, you know, that's that thing that you'll get to when you have time. So, and and I think that's common. I
2: think it's very common. In fact, caregiver health and the compromises that occur, we all hear, take -hmm. care of yourself first before you can take care of others, take care of yourself first. But then (laughs) the demands, I mean, 40% of people with autism are nonverbal. So we're talking about trying to figure Mm -hmm. out lunch and dinner and basic hygiene and needs and wants in the middle Mm -hmm. of trying to be a married couple that has emotions and feels love for one another. and. They're correcting each other. Give me a little bit of a framework for what that looked like for you guys coming back together.
0: Mm. Well, I I think probably the thing that made the biggest difference for us was when... Our, our Steve was our, our counselor and I remember we we had kind of just had a, a family meltdown. We had attempted to go on a family vacation together and it was just a disaster. <laughs> that
2: successful.
0: <laughs> yeah. It was just you know, the older the kids got, the harder it became to sometimes keep it all together and, and keep everybody's issues kind of tamped down and at bay. Anyway, so we had just come back from a horrific family so-called vacation. And we were talking to Steve and I was like, you know, I just, I just, I need a break. And he said, well, what does a break look like for you? And I'm like, well, I don't know. It'd be so nice to just, you know, get away and, and, you know, me and Adrian and the kids. And he goes, wait a minute. No, 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 no. Cause what do you mean about the kids? Like, well, you know, on a vacation. And he goes, when's the last time you and Adrian Mm -hmm. got away together? I was like, oh, I don't know, 17 years? You mean we're supposed (laughs) to get away together? That's right. It's like, that wasn't even in my mindset. It was, Mm. ah, I can do that. Um, So at that point, he kind of wrote us a prescription. And he said, I don't care what it takes. I don't care, even if it's just getting away to a Motel 6 that's two blocks away from your house. You need to get away together. So we really took that to heart. And it was really scary because our kids couldn't be left alone, and we don't have family in the area. So that was an enormous challenge. So what did that look like? Because that's exactly yeah. the same thing
2: that we have faced in the past.
0: Yeah, why? Well, we pulled together some of our closest friends who were you know, familiar with our family and who prayed for our kids and loved our kids, and we let them know, you know, we'd really love to try to get away for a weekend. Is it possible that you would possibly be able to look after our kids for a certain amount of time. And so we actually had some, a tag team approach. At that point, our kids were in middle school, so they were too old to have a babysitter per se, but they still needed an adult presence in order to keep issues with autism in control, mm-hmm. to make sure they were taking their medication and all that kind of stuff. So we we went to friends and they were gracious. So we had two families that tag teamed and looked out for our kids while we were gone and it, and it worked out. So we What was the first time away like?
2: What was that like? (laughs) Like, can I, hi, my name is Kelly. I'd like to meet you, Adrian. I know, (laughs) I know,
0: I know. I think both of us, I mean, you're, when you're, you're raising a family where there's just so much potential on a daily basis for there to be emotional upheaval and chaos. I think you just, after a while, you're always on, if you know what I mean. Your your radar is always very sensitive and you're just waiting for the shoe to drop or the phone to ring. And so it's almost like PTSD. And I think that first weekend away... It took us a full day and night to realize that we didn't have to look over our shoulder. Isn't that <laughs> so amazing? <I> think, <laughs> yeah. And, and um, this is a terrible thing. I don't mean this to sound badly about my own children. I love my children and they're wonderful. But it, it almost took us 24 hours at least to kind of get some of that out of our system and to be re- able to relax. Hmm. And then when that happened, it was it was wonderful. We, we spent the next day, we, we stayed at a cabin not too far from where we live, and we just, we met each other in nature, it was quiet, it was peaceful, and we made a promise to each other, we are not going to talk about our family, we are just going to spend time with each other, that was hard, by the way, uh, not an easy thing to do. <laughs>
2: You know, that's very true. In fact, I've heard therapists say that you've got to establish guidelines and rules because yeah. you so easily default to the greatest need or the loudest wheel that's speaking. Yeah.
0: And I will tell you this. This sounds uh, very rudimentary, but we had to do this because it was so hard for us to not have a conversation without addressing some aspect of our family. So we actually brought a book along with us. That was like a book that you would bring on a date, you know, with like fifty questions to ask. That's your fantastic, date. <laughs> right? That's great. Yeah, that's what we. That's what we did, and we had a blast. And um, and so it really was refreshing. It was like and and asking a lot of those questions, like, oh, remember when? Or, well you know if, if money were no object what would you do now that you wouldn't do 20 years ago so anyway it was just it was a time to kind of get to know each other again and it was vitally important it has made all the difference all the difference really yeah cuz we continue to, to to do that now every 3
2: months we will get away which um, is so interesting because the counselor that my husband and I see on, on occasion said so when was the last time y'all got away And it sounded just like that. (laughs) There was a long silence. Uh And we tried to get away. He said, you know, this once a year thing is not going to be enough. And he understands because he's also had a child with disabilities. Mm. And so help us help the church understand how to step into the family needs. Because I know there are several chapters in your book where they talk about, I just didn't go to church. I couldn't go to church. I was judged or they didn't want to step into my shoes. So if you're going to need help what needs to be communicated to the caregivers as you go away to make you feel comfortable
0: right right um, well I think it always has to start with relationships and as I just mentioned you know earlier we ended up going to our closest friends who also happened to go to our church to help us out but I think it yeah it, it starts with relationships so when our kids as we were learning more and more about their disabilities um, because we're on a journey too we don't we don't have it all figured out. We had to set up appointments with the various pastors uh, in our, you know, the middle school pastor, the high school pastor, and we would sit down with them and we would go over things with them. You know, when you see this particular behavior, that's a sign of stress. When you, So we, we had to educate them. Much like you do when you go, when when you have to deal with an IEP, when you go to your school and, and try to educate and inform your school and the teachers about how to best come alongside and help your child succeed. It was, it was not very unlike that, it was really helpful because we began to see our children do much better at church. And then ultimately, when we did need help, we felt more understood. I will tell you, they really didn't get it until they had to live with us for 24 hours. And I'll tell you well, how that... <laughs> yeah. Sleep deprivation does
2: a whole lot <laughs> to drive the point home.
0: Yeah, Yeah, it does. And we, our church had never had uh, kids like ours go on a a high school ministry retreat. Uh, It was actually a missions trip to inner city Chicago. They had never attempted it, and we really wanted our kids to be able to participate. So we said, okay, we'll go. We'll go along with the high school team, and we will be there to support our kids because we felt like it was important, and we really felt God was telling us our kids needed this. And I will tell you, it was probably the hardest weekend of my life, Mm -hmm. Um, in part because for the first time, the leadership and the other parents who had known our kids only on Sundays lived with us Mm -hmm. for three days. And it was eye opening for everybody. I think that's when they really began to realize, oh, (laughs) I mean, that's shocking to
2: live through the difference of a very typical child and then one that is not typical neurologically. It's shocking. and It it is. I think I applaud you for stepping in because so often I talked with very disgruntled parents who want the church to read their minds and they want the church just to understand. Well, unless you've had experience in something or been highly educated and, again, Mm -hmm. experienced something, yeah, in that realm, it's, it's impossible to understand. So the fact yeah. that you and your husband chose to go on a trip, mm-hmm. that had to be transforming in everybody's mind.
0: You know, it it was. I mean, there were so many beautiful things that came out of it. Um, I'm an introvert. And so my husband would not say that he had such an awful experience. I think our experiences with that weekend were very different, but I'm an introvert. And and so for me, not being able to get away and kind of settle myself and calm myself for, you know, three days straight was really hard. But it turned out to be such a beautiful experience because of, our oldest, John, decided to get baptized after having gone on that trip, and his baptism in front of our whole church was uh, again kind of a milestone. Um, the image of his him coming out of the water with just inc- this exuberant glee was an image that our church used for a long time in uh, a lot of our, our video material and our you know our, our media. So it was. Um, it was a a wonderful opportunity for us to really connect as a church and as a family.
2: I mean, for the church to step in like that, just you explaining that brings tears to my eyes, because how few times is there the openness to say, yes, this person also knows Jesus in a way that's different and maybe Mm -hmm. even more connected Mm -hmm. than someone who thinks through their theology or has to use their mind in a way that defines everything. I mean, you know, for a child with autism or a young adult with autism or a disability of any kind that affects the way they process things. Spirituality is, it is a difficult thing to, it's a concept. So they conceptualize things very differently. To see him come up from the water with a smile had to be almost miraculous for you.
0: It was. It was. Because for a long time, John really struggled to understand. He thought that before you could be baptized, you had to be perfect. And we're like, no, honey, that's what grace is. That's what grace is. Mm. Um, but when we went on the missions trip, John was having a, um, an anxiety attack and he, uh, we were worshiping with the black community there in the inner city and John was having uh, an anxiety attack and he just couldn't bring himself to go in. And out of nowhere this elderly black gentleman came up to us. We were out in the lobby just waiting and John was in tears and this elderly man came up to to us, and he introduced himself. His name was Gabriel. And he just started talking to John and walking him through it. And it was the most beautiful conversation. And through the words that Gabriel shared with John, it turned a switch that enabled John to understand grace for the first time. And it was because of that that. When we went back to our church, he decided he wanted to be baptized. He finally understood. And and you're absolutely right. One of the things I write about, and you'll see in our book, we each, I think, have different passions, different things that we emphasize in our writing. And for me, one of the things I want to emphasize is just the huge importance, the beautiful, beautiful role that our kids play in the body of Christ. And that when we're allowed to participate fully, people are changed. It's not just about serving people with disabilities, it's a, it's about being served as a body together. That's one of the things that that trip really opened eyes and opened doors because they were people who were very skeptical of our children and who had been very judgmental of our family confessed to us afterward. And one of them confessed publicly. I, If you don't mind, there's one little story I'd love to share if that's I'd okay. I'd love to hear it. <laughs> this is amazing. I'd love to hear it. One of the projects we had to do that weekend, and this is inner city Chicago, they had a record breaking temperatures that weekend, it was over 100 degrees, and we were working restoring this, this house. And one of the team leaders was a a principal, high school principal, who was clearly very, very frustrated with with john. Mm -hmm. Uh, John was having a really hard time fitting in doing the things that he was asked to do whether it was painting or whatever and uh, and he had to keep taking constant timeouts to calm himself down and there's so many triggers oh yeah I just feel that I get it I cannot tell you yeah this whole setup for John was just one big anxiety ridden experience he he worked so <laughs> hard to hold it together and this particular gentleman was in charge of the team and he was very he was very focused on making sure we finished this project. That was his goal. And he saw John as interfering and not Mm -hmm. really helping. Yeah, he was in the way. That's right. And so one afternoon, John couldn't handle it anymore. He took another time out. And when he returned, he came in carrying this huge Coleman ice chest. And he had put bottles and frozen things in there and he he took these things out and he started handing them to everybody and giving them something cold to drink and uh, something refreshing because we were all dying of heat and and that night the principal stood up uh, we had a a mic time where everybody had a chance to talk about what had happened during their day something that was maybe formative or or mind-blowing and he got up and he said i just have to tell you i need to apologize i have come to this project with a complete wrong attitude. I was here because I thought my job was to build a house. But in fact, he said, when John began getting in the way and not, not demonstrating the gifts that I wanted him to demonstrate, (laughs) I, and he confessed this, right? He's like, he said, I really, I was fed up. And he said, but I got to tell you today, when John, came up with his own idea because God has gifted him differently. He had the thought that nobody else had, which is, to give us refreshment. Nobody had thought (laughs) in this sweltering heat to give us anything to drink. And he said, and here's John bringing every, serving everyone, giving us the thing that we needed that we couldn't see we needed ourselves. And he said, and I realized this isn't about a house. This is about relationships. What was I thinking? And and then he turned to John and he just said, "I, I have to thank you, John. I could not have figured this out without you. And That that's that's an example. When you have a special need, you need to be allowed to express your giftedness in the way that God intended. And the church needs to be gracious enough to give you that opportunity. So a lot of the stories that I write are about things like that, because I want parents to understand that, too, about their own children. Your child is a gift, not just someone to be served or someone to be tolerated. Your child has a role to play that God has given them. Anyway, so I I want to encourage parents to hopefully, you know, see their kids that way and and encourage the church to do the same.
2: Yes, to really step into that. Yeah. Okay, that's an unbelievable story, and I've got tears in my (laughs) eyes. I'm going to try and pick up from there.
0: Yeah. No, my—yeah, John. no. Our kids
2: bring to the table gifts that— They arrive in ways we don't anticipate, Mm -hmm. but they are so incredibly powerful in that a lot of individuals who have differences see the world through different eyes. Mm -hmm. And those eyes see things that are needed and are necessary. But because of the either a tick or a sound or the way they walk or the meltdown, because we judge them for that. We totally lose the intuitive Holy Spirit's work through them. And for you to step into that and for that individual to get up and ask for forgiveness is amazing. In fact, I loved your chapter on forgiveness, which you start out by saying, Forgiveness, it seems like a thousand-pound bench press, a crushing load impossibly heavy to lift. But forgiveness isn't a one-time heft above our heads to declare our spiritual duty done. It's like a marathon. Special need parents are often at the mercy of teachers, administrators, doctors, professionals, and what I would add is church leaders. Church leaders. (laughs) We want their understanding and need their insight and cooperation as we try to help our children navigate life. But what happens when someone chooses not to do their job or harms our child, mm. so affects us. Have you been through situations where your boys were hurt or where there was harm done?
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And the way you handle it it really depends on the relationship you have with the person who has has done that damage. Mm. So um, I've had to learn when it is worth my emotional energy to uh, to approach that person and maybe let them know what's happened and, and where I, I think we need to talk it out and, and work through it versus when it's not worth it. There are times when it's just a one-time interaction with someone that you'll never see again or that you'll see so seldom that you know the the impact you may have on them may not be worth the the effort it's hard to sometimes discern that but but yeah there are times when you know the body of christ is is we are told that if someone sins against you 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 need to approach that person and if at all possible try to rectify or heal that breach and there have been times where i've had to do that one time in particular i remember a very good friend of ours early on when we had this diagnosis going on i remember him saying when we found out we had a a second diagnosis with our second son, David, he said, you know, I I was listening to the radio and I heard a pastor talking about how, you know, ADHD and ADD is really um, more of a spiritual problem (laughs) as opposed to a medical situation. And he said, and I wonder, maybe David's showing... This frustration or showing this behavior because of the stuff that's going on with John. Maybe he's not getting enough attention. And <laughs> you're like, okay, I, I'm, I don't have a bat. And I'm thankful I don't. <laughs> I was just, yeah, you can imagine. I, I, first of all, I was so taken aback. At that time, I was just speechless. I couldn't quite figure out even what to say. Um, I, get, but I, I, get, I so understand. Yeah. And to have this come from a dear friend, you know, to mm-hmm. have him suggest that the problems we were having with David was because we had misparented him because we were paying too much attention to John because a pastor had told him that on the radio. So I prayed about it and, and finally decided to pick up the phone a few days later. And, and we had a, a gentle conversation, but I, I had to let him know that this is really, this has really wounded me and, I, and mm-hmm. you need to understand. And, and then we went through. The various points that we needed to discuss, but it was good. Interesting. He accepted it. He did. He grew. Mm -hmm. What's interesting?
2: I'm just going to say right here to every individual who comes across the behavior of another individual that is different or appears to be outside of whatever box you know you want to put in, put them into. Mm -hmm. You have no idea what's going on in the home. You have no clue what's going on in their bodies, the fact that the weather can change their attitudes and actions, the fact that seasons and changes in schedule, um, mom or dad being sick, can throw off someone who's differently abled right. in ways that are profound. And they do have incredible meltdowns. So let's step into that experience, everybody, and not... <laughs> And not just be critical of it, saying, well, it's a parenting issue. Mm -hmm. How about Or it's a spiritual issue? Yeah. How do you know and who voted you God? (laughs) You know, God is God. So how can I serve and love you through this rather than criticize and push you away? It's interesting, a friend of mine who's also in public ministry wrote me the other day and said, Christians give a lot of non-Christians a lot of reasons for not to come to church because they had been very targeted. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, let's invite people into the church by the way we treat them, not give them reasons to not attend church.
0: Absolutely. In fact,
2: Gene Edwards has a book called Exquisite Agony, Healing for Mm -hmm. Christians Who Have Been Hurt by Other Christians. And he says, when a Christian is mistreated, he can create quite a scene. When others are making you a villain, Is it not true that everything in you wants to talk about it and in so doing justify yourself? We go on the attack. We tell anyone willing to listen all about the details of what was horribly done to us or to our kids. We choose to blame and express our hopelessness. Instead, we are to say, it is from you, Lord. This is for my good. This Mm -hmm. is between you and me, Lord. There are no others involved. I don't like this. It is the most difficult thing that's ever entered my life. But Lord, I'm calling to you because I need you. How many times have you been there?
0: Too many. (laughs) But you know what? I say too many. I I say that flippantly. Um, I would not, for all the difficulties that we have had and, and still continue to have once in a while, I wouldn't trade this journey for anything. When God brought me to the end of myself was really when he was most able to begin to have a relationship with me that we had never had before. And so when these difficulties come and they, they you know, do still occur, when God is your refuge, when you don't have the answers, when, when you're just, a, you have no place to turn, sometimes that's when you and he connect in a way that you might not otherwise, or you'll learn something about yourself that you would not have learned otherwise. And so, yeah, it's when these, when these times come when it's an opportunity to exercise forgiveness. And I don't mean to make that sound like, um, like I walk on water. I don't, I, uh, <laughs> I can only talk this way in with <laughs> hindsight. <laughs> um, don't talk to me when I'm in the middle of this because you'll hear a t- completely different story <laughs> at dinner
2: time. Between dinner time and bedtime, wow, yeah. that's the sanctification time of the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man. What's interesting yeah. is Kyle, Kyle Eidelman has written a book titled "The End of Me," and he talks about mm-hmm. the Beatitudes and the word "mourn." Blessed are those who mourn. Yeah. And he says in the Greek, the word is. The strongest word used for mourning, a kind of grief which takes hold and cannot be hidden. It's a sorrow that brings so much ache to the heart. It is an unrestrainable tear to the eye. And I think that's what you're hearing. When we are at the end of ourselves, it's not that God has given up on us. He's Mm -hmm. just allowed us to run out of hope of our own strength. And he's saying, you know, I'm going to just sit here and wait. And I'm waiting for you to call on me because I'm going to step in here. But until we let go, then that change can't happen. What were you like before you had kids with autism and now as a mom?
0: Oh, gosh, huge, huge difference. Before, um, I think I I very much fell into the pattern of uh, being a pleaser, but also... Very much consumed with doing things as as well as I could. I was very performance oriented, hmm. and so uh, I was actively involved in a lot of things. I I was in leadership positions. One of my love languages is praise, <laughs> so and and uh, so it was really important for me to appear like I had stuff together. And it wasn't that hard to do because I didn't have a whole lot of things distracting me. So I could concentrate on on those things that I wanted to succeed in and I could put my energies toward those things. But when autism came on the scene, suddenly I could not, I couldn't, you can't control autism. It has a, it has a, a will of its own. It's very humbling. When you're used to, to being seen a certain way, and then the, the complete opposite happens, and you've got people <laughs> assuming you're a bad parent, and you've got your child just in, in pain all the time and in, in struggling to find ways to, to love them in a way that, that will, will support them and, and not harm them, uh, it, it's, it's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Before autism was a part of our life, I think I was too self-reliant. Because way you can't can be so, you, You're so capable. And yeah. you think that this is serving the Lord. He's given me this yeah. gifts. And frankly, too, you can fake it. You know, there were times where, you know, fake it till you make it. I mean, you can get away with things in a way that you can't any longer. Because when you have a disability that's so visible, it's on display. You become very vulnerable, and and it's in a good way. It can be very humbling, <laughs> um, which was something I that I think has been so good for me. Um, yeah, it's it's actually it's just a, a journey we're we're continuing, but I'm doing my best. But trying to, be, trying to be real. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't really hide the way I used to. Mm. I'm very happy to let people know where I've, you know, where I've messed up, <laughs> where I'm messing up today. It's, it's kind of freeing. So I hear there's a lot of freedom
2: that has yeah. happened as a result of what feels incredibly confining on mm. the onset because, of course, we're lost in this. I have no idea how to deal with this. But yeah. the freedom comes when you say, you, like me are created by a sovereign god who has sovereign control who has allowed this into our lives for a purpose and in fact another chapter that Kevin wrote it's not the question why but what i mean when we st- I don't think any of us would be satisfied with the with answer answers from god on the whys, because really mm-hmm. what we're looking for is relief and yep. you may say i'm not going to give that because if i gave that that would not carve your soul Mm -hmm. In fact, um, one of the quotes that I pulled from the book is by author Belden C. Lane, and it says, grace rarely comes in the shape of a gentle invitation to change. More often than not, it appears in the form of an assault, something we're first tempted to flee. The spiritual life is seldom a matter of painless, uninterrupted growth.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think we can all relate to that, Whether whether you have, you know whether you have special needs kids or not. Um, yeah, that's that's very true. So um, how do you view God's sovereignty? Did you wrestle with that for a period of time? You know, um, for me, not so much. I think where I struggled more was about issues of identity. Who, who am I? Who do I belong to? Who do my kids belong to? Where do we belong? It, it had more, I think, to do with, about, with things along those lines. But God's sovereignty... Um, what this has taught me and, and is teaching me is that there is nothing we cannot give God that he cannot redeem. And that doesn't mean that he will fix, but it does mean that because he is sovereign, we can give him a hopeless situation. We can give him our pain. We can give him the hurt from something someone has said or what seems to be an, an impossible achievement. We can give him anything, and Lay it at his feet and ask him to transform it and redeem it, and he will. That has been what I cling to, so that none of the struggles we're having, none of none of it is for nothing. It is all something that, in God's hands, will be used to bless someone else, will be used to grow the church, will be used to grow me and my children. And so, yeah, I guess I I I guess God's sovereignty for me is is knowing that none of this is beyond His ability. But it's usually in the middle of, of the pain, like I said, hindsight, <laughs> where, right. I have the, where I have the presence of mind to just go, oh, yeah, okay, right, okay, this feels devastating, this feels hopeless, but, Lord, this is yours, I'm giving this to you. It's wonderful because in one of the chapters that you wrote in
2: the book, you talk about reservation time. And you say the the Navajos have a custom. Some families live miles apart without telephones. Rather than show up unannounced on a neighbor's doorstep, visitors drive their cars within hearing distance on their neighbor's property. They park and wait patiently for the neighbor to recognize their presence and give them the time they need to prepare their home. Eventually, the homeowners open the door to signal that they're ready to welcome their neighbors inside. Some call this kind of flexible living reservation time. So in a sense, the human condition is reservation time. Yeah. As we come to a close, I would love for you to speak into the lives of those who are living in reservation time, who are Mm. saying, I've prayed, Lord, I've prayed for you to heal this, to change this, Mm. to relieve this. I've asked you and asked you and asked you, and all I have is nothing. Mm.
0: Yeah. Reservation time is, I think, surrender. It's about surrender. It's so it's kind of sitting in your metaphorical car and surrendering yourself to the eventuality that God is going to reveal something to you at some time and for some purpose. But in the meantime, you know, I think that's what it it means in scripture when it says wait on the Lord, you stop wrestling, you stop fighting and you surrender. And I think that's reservation time in, in the, that particular story was about the waiting that you have to do as a parent because autism is a, it's a developmental disability. And so a lot of the development is simply delayed. And so you have to wait for certain milestones to happen at a later time, or it's a develop, developmental disability in which certain things will never develop and then you change your expectations and you change how you view success for that particular child but it's about trusting that when you give it to god he he will use it and he does i will tell you though not because i've seen him answer everything that i've asked for or even <laughs> or even most of it but i do believe that a lot of what we will see when we surrender our, our will to Him and our expectations to Him, and when we ask Him to redeem something and use it, uh, we may not see those answers until the other side of eternity. You know, there are just some things that we're not capable of knowing, but that I know God will use and is using and will weave together either for our good or for the good of, of other people around us. Life is a journey, right? Right. It is. And that brings me to talk about what I listened to while
2: I was driving over here the song by Jeremy Camp titled Let It Fade. And it says Have you been walking on the surface that's uncertain? Have you helped yourself to everything that's empty? You can't live this way too long. There's more to this. There is more to this. Have you been standing on your own two feet too long? Let it rest. Let the old life crumble. Let it fade. Let this new life offered be your saving grace.
0: Mm.
2: Let the old life crumble. Let it fade. And it's until the curtains close on what we've wanted in this life, then God opens the curtains to a totally different life that is abounding in freedom. And you and I both know this because we both have now kids in their 20s. On yeah. the spectrum, and yes, there are a lot of dead ends, but there are also unbelievable opportunities.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep, yeah, very true. I and I love I love the name of your ministry, reframing ministries, because I, I that's kind of what that means to me. Um, learning to reframe our lives, um, to change those expectations, to to see differently, and then to be able to celebrate in ways that maybe other people don't get to celebrate.
2: Yeah. Have you ever found so much joy over learning to tie shoes in your life? <laughs> I mean, who knew the shoestrings could bring so much happiness? <laughs> oh, I
0: know. I know. Or, or, yeah, just, yeah. Oh, my gosh. They remember to take their medication. Exactly. Hallelujah.
2: <laughs> well, how can people find you, Kelly? Because you have yeah. you, you do writing. You've been writing for over 20 years. Um, how can they connect with you and with this yeah.
0: book? You know, probably a, a couple of ways. Um, the easiest would be if you have a, a Facebook account, it would be, um, I started to say Divine Duct Tape, that's my other book. That's your first but, book, uh, exactly. That's my first book. Um, no, it would be Life on the Spectrum book is, is the name of it on uh, Facebook. And so if you, you know, put that in the search field and look for it, um, you can connect with us that way. Debbie and I and Kevin are all on that. And so whenever somebody, you know, posts anything, we're very happy to respond. And we also have a website, so Uh Again, another way there that you can connect because uh, there's a contact us uh, tab if you, if you want to do that as well. So that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me or us. And what's so great about this is I think for both of us,
2: anyone who has any challenge that they're facing, there's no judgment. Because Mm. we've been there. We've been on the roof going, I think I'm going to jump. (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) It's time. Well, right, right. Well, I think that's the beautiful thing about this book that has been written by eight different people is that that's our story you're, you're going to be able to relate to us because we can relate to you. Right, (laughs) We're all in that same boat, no matter how, how different we are. um, We all ultimately understand autism and, and we also love, love the Lord and he loves us. So there's some common ground there that we can share. And there's so much grace. Mm -hmm. Thank the Lord for that. Kelly, thank you so
2: much for being my guest and for being a champion for your kids Mm -hmm. And for autism, and for anyone who is struggling, um,
0: seriously, thank you so so much, Colleen. What you have contributed to this book is phenomenal. I, we have we have so loved the the comments the when you endorsed this book and the comments you wrote and the things that you've written to me, you know, um, in emails and stuff. I cannot tell you how much that means to me. You have you have just been an absolute champion of this book. And I really appreciate you. Well, thank you. I mean, I appreciate you guys putting your heart and soul into
2: this. And to speak honestly, your heart is just very open. And I appreciate your voice in this.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Colleen. I love speaking with you. I really appreciate this time. You bet. Thanks for writing the book. Thank you.
2: Hey, gang, wasn't that an outstanding interview with Kelly Anderson, who has endured unbelievable challenges with two children on the spectrum? I hope this time with Kelly helped you reframe a situation that you're facing today. Please connect with us, and we would love to walk you through the reframing process. You can connect with us on various platforms like Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram, as well as reframingministries.com, and write me personally at reframingministries at insight.org. If you would rate and review this podcast wherever you download your podcasts, I would so appreciate it as well as share it with those who would be encouraged by it. You can find the show notes and referenced resources in the podcast description on our website, and we will have Kelly's book, Life on the Spectrum, as well as information on Divine Duct Tape, which she published in 2012.
1: Thank you again for joining us today at Reframing Ministries. If you enjoyed this podcast, let us know in the comments on our website. Our desire is to provide biblical help, hope, healing, and humor for people walking through unique and challenging segments in life. And in order to provide for more people, we love your support through prayer, sharing this content with friends, and partnered support. Reframing Ministries and Insight for Living Ministries operate entirely and only on your generous gifts and donations. You can partner with us and donate to Reframing Ministries through our website. The Reframing Ministries podcast is a production of Insight for Living Ministries.